Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Eight thousand. There are eight thousand individual doses of cocaine in a kilo, and there is real misery in that number. This is not Netflix. This isn't a movie. Every single dose could leave a parent wondering where their child is. Each dose could leave a child growing up without a parent. This is why we are here. This man, Tony Hernandez, helped to import almost two hundred thousand kilos of cocaine into the United States. That is one point six billion doses of poison. Each one of those kilos was worth more than thirty thousand dollars here, and so every single one had the capacity to cause tragedy. Each kilo was capable of causing horrific violence at every step along the way from Colombia to the United States, and many of them did. These numbers, ladies and gentlemen, they are staggering. They are horrific, and they arise from horrific facts. Honduras has about as many people as New York City. The country of Honduras is smaller than New York State. It's about the size of Ohio. And for almost 15 years, the defendant ravaged this country to work with other men to send tidal waves of cocaine to the United States. He showed zero regard for the people he harmed, zero concern for those he placed at risk, including people here. The defendant began these crimes in 2004, when he started to provide information and logistics to drug traffickers working on cocaine shipments. He leaked sensitive law enforcement information. He told traffickers about the schedule at Honduran military bases and about DEA operations. The defendant used the Honduran National Police to provide security for cocaine, including his cousin. And over time, the defendant made huge sums of money distributing cocaine with murderers. The defendant stockpiled that money; he enjoyed it, and he rose up in the drug trade. By 2006, the defendant was a supplier and a manufacturer of cocaine. He developed connections in South America, including to a cocaine lab in Colombia. He was so arrogant. About all of this, that the man put his initials on the cocaine coming out of that lab. As the defendant emerged as a major drug trafficker in Central America with his own DH-branded kilos of cocaine, he worked with others to rot the public institution of, of Honduras to use them for drug trafficking. You see, in 2005, the defendant's national party. Lost the presidential election, and they vowed to never let that happen again. To increase his own power and the power of his family, the defendant helped funnel millions of dollars in drug money into the national party campaigns. They did that for elections in 2009, 2013, and 2017. These weren't campaign contributions. We're not talking about donations. These were bribes, and it came with strings. 
The traffickers who gave that money expected protection. Protection from arrest. Protection from investigation. Protection from extradition. Protection so that they could continue to work with the defendant to make millions of dollars distributing cocaine towards the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, this plan worked for a while. The defendant's co-conspirators, they won those elections. They infiltrated the Honduran government and they controlled it. They turned that government against its people and they used the government for state-sponsored drug trafficking. What do I mean by that? That's the difference between the early phases of the defendant's drug trafficking career and the most egregious one. Early on, the defendants relied on some bad apples in public positions to get access to information that could help with drug shipments. But by 2010, the defendant and his associates controlled the government and they used the government to protect the drug traffickers that aligned with the National Party. That is state-sponsored drug trafficking. And with that level of power and control, the defendant was virtually untouchable. The results of that are astonishing. Beginning in 2010, the defendant worked on massive cocaine shipments sent to the United States on a monthly basis. The president of Honduras deployed the military to the border with Guatemala to protect the defendant's drug turf. The defendant used the national police to murder one of his drug rivals. And the ring leader in that murder was later promoted to become the chief of the entire police force. Chapo Guzman came to Honduras in 2013, twice. You remember that defense counsel referred to Chapo as the most wanted man in the world at that time? He was still able to get to Honduras safely for those meetings with the defendant. And during the second meeting, he handed the defendant a million dollars in cash, drug money to help the defendant's brother, Juan Orlando, get elected president so he could keep protecting them. Now Chapo wasn't arrested when he went to Honduras, and the defendant wasn't arrested either. In fact, between 2004 and 2012, it wasn't even possible for the defendant to be extradited to the United States, to be prosecuted for these crimes. The Honduran constitution conveniently pro prohibited that. And by the time the U.S. applied enough pressure to get that changed, the defendant took steps to cloak himself in, a, in an official title to get elected to the Honduran Congress. And as a congressman, beginning in 2014, for four more years he continued to help traffickers and he continued to work on cocaine shipments. Now, at the beginning of this trial, Mr. Malone said that trials can be sort of like a CAT scan or MRIs, procedures that are designed to give you a better perspective on a problem. Now, the defense doesn't have any burden here. 
they don't have to do or say anything. That's because the burden of proof in this courtroom is always on the government. But when the defense makes an argument, you're entitled to scrutinize it, to think about it, consider whether it makes sense. So let's think about what Mr. Malone said. Let's look at this in perspective. I said in the beginning that Honduras is about the size of Ohio. So let's imagine a man in Ohio who brings 200,000 kilos of cocaine into the States. Imagine that the man brings the cocaine to Ohio using planes, planes that land on dirt runways in the woods instead of airports, delivering literally a mountain of cocaine. Imagine that this man in Ohio brings that cocaine to Canada, and then in order to get it there, he uses heavily armed security, the police, and machine gun wielding thugs. And imagine that this goes on for almost 15 years. Is it conceivable that such a man would never even be investigated? Is it plausible that a man like that in Ohio would not be arrested? No. No. It isn't. But there was more than one such man in Honduras. I'm not just talking about the defendant. The largest and most violent drug traffickers who testified at this trial, they weren't arrested in Honduras either because they were protected by the defendant. Crimes of this scale of this magnitude, they all but require official protection. That is what the defendant provided. His mother Honduras in corruption in order to achieve it. And that is what the evidence at this trial has shown. Let's talk a little bit about the cooperating witnesses. There were five of them who testified. And the defense wants you to believe that they are all on some kind of deranged revenge plot, all here to try to get back at the defendant. When you do the MRI on that argument, you'll find that it doesn't make any sense. Now, let's be clear. We're not here to vouch for the morality of those witnesses or for anything else. Their crimes are every bit if not more tragic and awful than the defendants. But the defendant chose those men as conspirators, not us. Those witnesses are the product of years of the defendant's state-sponsored drug trafficking. They are the only people in a position to tell you exactly what he did. Keep in mind, please, that these witnesses told you about a lot more than just the defendant. They came to the United States and they admitted all of their crimes. They talked about the involvement of their relatives. They admitted to murders, to participating in torture. These witnesses weren't charged with murder in Honduras, and they weren't charged with murder in the United States, and they got here. They voluntarily disclosed those things. Does it make any sense that these witnesses would come to the U.S. and admit to all of this violence just for
for an opportunity to testify at this trial against the defendant? No, no, it doesn't. And those witnesses are being held accountable in the United States for their crimes. That accountability is something that did not and would have never happened in Honduras because the defendant was protecting them. Now, this is another argument that Mr. Malone made during his opening statement. He said the cooperating witnesses were shipped to the United States, signed, sealed, and delivered by Juan Orlando Hernandez. And the MRI on that one says, wrong, absolutely false. Zero witnesses in this case were extradited by Honduras. Three of them surrendered voluntarily, and the other two were extradited by Guatemala. Those witnesses have no axe to grind with Juan Orlando, and certainly not with the defendant. And I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that this argument about the supposed law enforcement policy of Juan Orlando Hernandez is a distraction. It is intended as a sideshow to get you to look away from what these witnesses said about what the defendant did. And the reason for that is that the testimony from just one of these witnesses is enough to convict the defendant. And you heard from five of them. But that's not all you saw and heard at this trial. In addition to the testimony of those five cooperating witnesses, there are five types of physical evidence that you have that show you that the witnesses told the truth and show you that the defendant is guilty. So, let's talk about that physical evidence. The first piece of evidence is that recording of the defendant's meeting at the dentist. This is the recording. In 2014, as a newly elected congressman, the defendant sat down for a meeting with one of the most violent and notorious drug traffickers in Central America. On tape, he agreed to help that man by getting the Honduran government to issue payments to front companies, payments that were designed to get around U.S. sanctions that were all over the news at that time. This recording shows you in vivid color just how comfortable the defendant was meeting with and helping drug traffickers because he was one of them. This is the second piece of physical evidence that you have, ladies and gentlemen, the wire trap that led to the discovery of the defendant's TH killer. These are those intercepts. Government Exhibit 402 in 2016, the DEA intercepted a series of communications, communications that included this picture of the defendant's TH kilo, and communications indicating that there were several hundred of these kilos in San Pedro Sula, Honduras. So you have in evidence a photograph of a kilo of cocaine with this man's initials on it. Just like the witnesses at the trial told you. And keep in mind that this isn't a clip part. The witnesses didn't draw this. This came from a completely independent source of evidence. The wire trap. In a totally separate investigation. 
Remember when the defense counsel asked if the defendant's fingerprints were ever found in a kilo of cocaine? Maybe not, but this is the next best thing. He basically signed his own drugs. This is the third piece of physical evidence that you have. The drug ledger with the defendant's name in it. Government Exhibit 258. This one on the top. This is that ledger. In 2018, Honduran police seized this ledger referring to a cocaine shipment that the defendant sent to Honduras in an airplane, 650 kilos. Honduran police seized this ledger from a vehicle that also contained three pistols, two grenades, and a bunch of cash. And the ledger shows you what the defendant was doing in February 2018. Still distributing cocaine. Another piece of physical evidence that you have is the recording of the things that the defendant said to the DEA after he was arrested. This recording is Government Exhibit 403. The defendant admitted to the DEA to having relationships with major Honduran traffickers, including some of the people who testified at this trial. Remember when the defense counsel asked those witnesses whether they knew of any corroborating evidence relating to the meeting they described? Remember that? The witnesses didn't know about this recording, but you do. And you know that when the defendant was arrested, he admitted to the DEA that he had relationships with this man. The defendant admitted that he had meetings with these men. He admitted that he understood some of their drug routes. He knew about some of their cocaine shipments. The defendant said he understood the drugs were going to the United States. On tape, he was shown a picture of his TH kilo, and he said, that's TH. Supposedly, it's Tony Hernandez. That's me. This looks like a package of drugs to me. Ladies and gentlemen, the things that the defendant said to the DEA after he was arrested is another piece of powerful evidence that shows you that he's guilty. And here is another category of physical evidence. Things that the DEA sees from the defendant when he was arrested, including two phones. These are government exhibits 202 and 203. And the DEA found on these phones pictures of cash, you see that one on the bottom left, and machine guns. So, when you're thinking about the other evidence of the security that the defendant had to protect himself and to protect his drug money and to protect his cocaine, you don't have to imagine what that looked like because there are pictures of these weapons and the drug money on his phones. So that's an overview of the evidence, ladies and gentlemen. Five cooperating witnesses. Five types of physical evidence that taken together show you that the defendant is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt of all the crimes that he is charged with. And we ask, ladies and gentlemen, that you think about the evidence carefully and that you listen to Judge Cassell's instructions on the law and that we ask that you do justice, justice long avoided in Honduras, justice for a man who is virtually untouchable and totally protected by the Honduran government. We ask that you do justice in this courtroom 
and return the only verdict that it is supported by the evidence that he is guilty of all of the charges. Thank you.